Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. We have got to stand up to this and, um, you know, call it out and make sure that it's visible and kind of find solutions to dealing with it. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. I call it actionable empowerment. Every single episode, you'll hear the story of a fantastic woman in tech, from engineers to founders to investors to journalists to designers, all sorts of different females in tech who have thrived. I want to share their stories with you so that you can can know what resources, mentors, and life situations they accessed in order to get to where they are today. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. My name is Brian Nickerson. I'm guest hosting for Esprit Devora on Women in Tech. I'm really excited for our founder today, Angela Gitvan. She's the founder of two companies, Digital Whisper and the See Me Movement. Angela, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm thrilled to be here. And so you, you started a company this morning. I started a nonprofit this morning. Yeah, <laughs> crazy. Absolutely. There's no better time like the present. You're living it. It's right. amazing. Exactly. <laughs> Can't believe I did it. So, but I did. It's here. You're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's um uh, called, uh, well, the name of the corporation is actually Time to See Me, but the movement itself is called the hashtag See Me Movement, S-E-E. M-E, and um, it's uh, designed to be a sister to uh, Me Too and Time's Up, but to take on ageism in the work environment because I felt like that was a particular issue, one that actually affects women pretty dramatically that was not currently being addressed addressed in the environment right now. So um, I just went for it. Amazing. Good for you. And and it's exciting to be with you on the same day that you started it because uh, the birthing of anything is just a especially exciting time. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to I want to spend time there. Um, but but first, let's let's talk a little bit about your background um, you've got a really interesting one. You've done a lot of things, um, uh, CMO to uh, right, a number of companies. Um, and then you have your, your, your company, Digital Whisper. So um, kind of introduce yourself, if, if you wouldn't mind, and, and give the audience a little bit of your background. Absolutely. And these things are tied together, so it's a pretty good story to tell. Yeah. yeah. So, yes, um, I, I think I said earlier that I jokingly call myself a recovering high-tech CMO. <laughs> and I have worked for a number of um, companies you've heard of and some that you haven't. Um, so are you in like a 12-step program? <laughs> <laughs> maybe there should be one, I think. Uh, you know, we have to like maybe defer from doing Facebook ads or something. I don't know. <laughs> But, um, yeah, so I, you know, I started my career actually in Silicon Valley and I worked for companies like Electronic Arts, which I'm sure you're familiar with, and then um, held senior positions in places like Rever, which was actually the first online video play. We actually invented mm. the model that everybody is using now. And my last uh, full-time gig in that kind of role was with Evite, another company that yeah. um, was kind of spawned during the uh, dot-com boom. Um, and uh, about four years ago, I kind of went off on my own because I was finding that I really enjoyed being able to cover a range of different sorts of 
businesses. It gave me the opportunity not only to work in the consumer space, but to dabble in SaaS and then also um, maybe work with uh, different size businesses. So for the last four years, I've been actually consulting primarily with emerging businesses, but they range from uh, brand new companies, you know, startups that are just getting the wheels on the bus and they need not only operational expertise, but also audience acquisition and some understanding of how to fundraise. Mm -hmm. And then also bigger organizations that are starting new business units, since I have worked in bigger companies and I can help folks do that. And I bring kind of an outside perspective on how to uh, just kind of, uh, you know, innovate. Um, But lately, uh, particularly around the political climate over the past year and a half, um, I got kind of incensed (laughs) with a lot of things that were going Mm -hmm. on. And I started turning my attention more and more to social activism. Mm -hmm. And that has kind of led me to working more and more with nonprofits. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm actually adding them fairly rapidly to my client base. Um, And it's been really interesting work because on the surface, they look a lot like startups. They kind of, you know, they're always looking for money. (laughs) They're working on a shoestring. They're trying to figure out how to have an impact most effectively using uh, often bare bone tools. And they often have a really resonant emotional message that you can kind of leverage and and put to work. And I'm finding that they also um, need to understand in the digital age how to effectively communicate um, especially given the fact that their uh, the upcoming uh, audience is millennials, mm-hmm. and I actually have a, a kind of a really interesting story to tell about that if you want to hear it. <laughs> so, sure, let's yeah. go. Yeah. Um, well, it, just kind of getting started. Um, one of um, the nonprofits I'm working with is actually called In a Perfect World, and it's a really wonderful organization run by a woman named Manuela Testolini, who. Um, is very concerned about uh, giving um, opportunity to kids all over the world. And to that end, she's built 28 schools in high poverty areas right now, um, working on our 29th and then actually our 30th, which is being built in honor of Quincy Jones, which Mm. is really great. Two of them were built in honor of Prince, who um, was actually at one point married to Manuela. So Mm. it's been a really interesting organization. Are those those in Minnesota? (laughs) No, they are actually in places like Malawi and Uh, Nepal and mm -hmm. Nicaragua. So Uh seriously high poverty areas, um, you know, where kids are walking one to two hours a day just to get to an elementary school and they need a place in their own village. It's it's pretty amazing. Um, They have served uh, more than 35,000 kids over the course of her tenure in this organization. But but that's super great, but that's not the story. (laughs) The story is um, one of the things we did was actually hire some advice from a very well-known organization that advises nonprofits. And we um, had a consultant on the phone and uh, she was talking to us about how to uh, 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 be effective at fundraising. And... um, Uh, One of the things she said right off the bat is that it's very important to have a very strong email list and to work that list really hard, which, you know, sounded understandable to me. It seemed reasonable. But I immediately said, how do you talk to millennials? Mm-hmm. Right. But you're dealing with a an up and coming group of people who are coming into disposable income and happen to be incredibly philanthropic. Right. Very involved with wanting to change the world. And they don't use email. 
right? right? You know, they might use it in a business situation, but their primary forms of communication are very, very different. Text and chat. Right, exactly. I mean, my joke about that is because I have a millennial daughter is that I literally text her to tell her that I sent her an email, right? You know, so. (laughs) Check your email. Right, exactly. So, and uh, the woman. does that work? Yeah, it does work. <laughs> but I only send email to her when there's a lot of information right. that needs to be shared, right? right. So probably, otherwise we talk different there's ways. A, there's a whole nother conversation <laughs> yeah. there around what's what's the medium of dialogue where I also find some some people think text is an appropriate conversation for certain conversations that should not happen on text. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 There's that's a there's a whole culture <laughs> there's a hole there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. built into that. <laughs> so back to your story. Sorry. <laughs> so anyway. But it was just it was interesting because I asked her that question. And she just paused. It was like dead air on the phone. And she said, well, yes, I understand that best practices are changing. But um, but she had nowhere to go with that. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. And I realized that somebody like me was really, really needed in the space that, um, you know, when you're dealing with an evolving audience and an evolving community and evolving forms of communications, you've got to um, understand how to be able to leverage those things in order to do what it is you need to do. So essentially, nonprofits need digital transformation. And I've kind of dived into this marketplace to make that happen. And um, I'm really kind of enjoying what's happening there in terms Mm -hmm. of helping them build out and be more effective and have an impact on communities. So, um, so it seems to be the right thing to do right now. I'm very happy about it. And and from the smile in your face, it looks pretty uh, soul fulfilling. Yeah, it is. It is good to get up in the morning and have an impact on something rather than making a widget. Although widgets are important. I'm a capitalist, right? right? But, um, but it is nice to know that you are kind of empowering people who really want to make a change in the world. Yeah. So So what are, are there some common challenges that your clients face that you are typically brought in to help with, or even you're brought in on one thing and you just see this as a problem and you end up kind of helping on, on some new challenge? Yeah, it's a lot of the latter. Yeah. Uh, It kind of depends on the client, right? And just how, because they kind of emerge from different places structurally and sometimes they need different things. I mean, the core thing that is important to everybody is money. It's always Mm. about money, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So fundraising is huge. Um, And in order to fundraise, you've got to collect audience, Um, you know, same way you do with anything else. So so that's typically the first place that I attack. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, They wouldn't like that word attack. (laughs) 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 Such a businessy word, right? I'm using it for nonprofits who do nice things. A challenge to embrace. Yeah, exactly. A challenge to embrace. (laughs) Got to soften my language here, but... Um, yeah, so that's typically the first spot, but then that does kind of segue into um, a lot of stuff about process. Yeah, um, you know, because uh, uh, it's easy to kind of, well, just like the story I just told, right? The organizations have kind of been embedded, often been embedded in a certain way of doing things, and um, I think it's kind of interesting because while we in the tech business have been privy to kind of shoestring and uh, bootstrapped operations for a long time now. You know, we're Mm -hmm. very versed in the kind of tools we can get our hands on. Like my website I built today on Squarespace, right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, it cost me $16 a month, right? Yeah. um, But uh, these guys don't know about that stuff for the most part because um, there hasn't been somebody who's really kind of reached into their environment and said, well, no, you don't have to pay for this anymore. Look, 
look, here's you can use this, right? Right, There's, right. You know, they use Mailchimp. Everybody's figured that out, but a lot of these other social media tools and website building tools and other things that have been available to us for a long time, they're just now figuring out yeah. um, how to put them to use. So yeah. So from a donations perspective. It, there, there's like two approaches kind of broadly, I think. One is like you go after a few really big donors, right, that periodically make write big checks. And the other is maybe millennial oriented where it's like, how do you have 100,000 people donating a dollar a month? Or, right. Um, is, do you see that dichotomy? Does that still exist? Is oh, yeah, that a challenge absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's like the difference between raising an A round with VCs and crowdfunding, right? Sure. You know, yeah. it's kind of yeah. looks like that. So um, <clears throat> you've got to keep your big donors in the kitty and happy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually, uh, once you kind of are wired into that, it's actually a very good thing to have. And I would actually say a lot easier to do because mm. you're dealing with a small universe, Right. Mm-hmm. You just have you've got to have somebody who can just keep them happy. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it, that becomes very important. Um, getting that five bucks from a large community of people. It's a lot more time and process intensive yeah. um, because you've got to build outreach that reaches all those folks and build the mechanisms to actually collect the dough and to track it. Yeah. And once you have that in place, it can be fantastic. I mean, everybody talks about Bernie Sanders and his fundraising during the campaign. He basically kind of broke the model, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, it can work, but it requires a lot of infrastructure and a lot of um, operational capacity in right. order to make that happen. So, so there's some companies, um, I mean like Patreon to a right. certain extent does that yeah. maybe, maybe, I don't know, do they have a charity focused arm or is it more supporting artists? Um, I do changing? believe they actually can support nonprofits. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree with you. I haven't spent a lot. I mean, I think I'm on Patreon, not that I've done anything with it, but, uh-huh. um, I haven't visibly had a lot of emphasis on, mm-hmm. um, seen a lot of emphasis on nonprofits. Right. Yeah. I was also thinking, you know, there's um, places like Medium, right, who obviously you're communicating, you're not, um, your your product is your writing, right, and, uh, you know, they're collecting pennies from people in order to read it, but there are tools out there that can make that possible, but um, I'm not sure that any of them are really right now very customized towards what nonprofits need. Now, by the way, there are lots of digital tools that you can kind of implement on the backside of your web presence as a nonprofit that will actually help you collect fundraising dollars and things uh-huh. like that. Those, those things do exist. Uh-huh. You know, there are platforms like um, Classy is everybody's mm-hmm. favorite that do exist that can be implemented. Um, so it's not like this space has been totally ignored, but um, it's definitely hasn't, it's not up to snuff. It almost seems like we're talking about the birth of a new company. Well, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> this is, maybe this is an idea for someone is, someone listening. Yeah. Or, uh, or if you want to start two companies in a day, maybe. Uh, no, no, that's <laughs> maybe not going to happen. That. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so was it working with nonprofits that inspired you to start your own nonprofit? Um, well, it definitely, in some ways, yes. Yeah. It kind of uh, got me up to at least got me more excited about the um ability to make it work or Mm -hmm. um, gave me maybe a better understanding of of kind of how you make that happen. Yeah. So I I guess the short answer to that is yes. Yeah. But the other real motivator was just what's been happening politically and my own journey um, during that time, because I've always been a 
political wonk. And I, um, you know, I started working on political campaigns a long time ago and I worked on Hillary's first campaign. And then Mm -hmm. I worked on both the Obama campaigns and in both the Obama campaigns, I actually worked on the digital side Mm. and and helped with that. Um, and then, uh, worked on Hillary's campaign again. Right. Uh And, um, after the results of the election, obviously I was very disillusioned, but I was really happy to see um, how many people also kind of felt like they needed to do something. And yeah. it's generated a lot of activity, which has been great. No matter which side of the, you know, the um, the road you stand on, um, I think the kind of heightened dialogue has been good for all of us and right. the involvement. And so... I um, and as that kind of marched into the Me Too movement and then the Time's Up uh, Mm -hmm. situation here, starting in Hollywood, um, I thought, hmm, okay, there's a a little bit of a tidal wave going on. There's momentum. Yeah. And I mentioned that, you know, the digital whisper story and this tie together because um, at the same time I had um, kind of stepped out of, uh, you know, the full time work environment and at. When I did that, I also had become a middle-aged woman <laughs> and mm-hmm. shocking as that was. So you woke up one morning and you're middle-aged, right? <laughs> um, uh, where it had been really easy for me to walk into organizations previously, now I started seeing a really high degree of um, ageism, mm. right? Um, it was just shocking to me. And especially mm-hmm. knowing what I know working with tools that in many ways I helped invent and kind of working in this space for, for so long, you know, to just be shunted away because somebody took a look at me and said, Hmm, she seems like she might be 45, you know, that could be a problem. (laughs) And um, it just got really upsetting when I actually went through a a really long uh, interview process with a very well-known unicorn (laughs) and they ended up saying, mm, we think you're really great. We're not telling you no, but we're going to hire somebody more junior, mm. which was I just a really, um, I didn't even realize how blatant a case of um, discrimination it was until I mentioned the comment to one of my friends who's a recovering lawyer mm-hmm. <laughs> who, who used to do labor law. And she was like, holy crap. They just basically told you they were discriminating. And I was like, mm. hmm, I wondered why it seemed so odd that it was phrased that way. I couldn't understand what was happening. And um, that really kind of just triggered something in me that said, we have got to stand up to this yeah, and, um, you know, call it out and make sure that it's visible and kind of find solutions to dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And I feel very strongly about it for myself, but it also affects guys, mm-hmm. right? Particularly in the tech industry. Um, you know, um, there's this veneer of worship in a lot of ways for the young dudes in the hoodies and um, people kind of forget (laughs) what the folks who actually started in the garages (laughs) can bring to the party at the end of the day. So, so yes, here we are. See me. (laughs) Hashtag see me. Hashtag see me. And that can be found Twitter on. Yeah. Yeah. What's the best way to find um, it's uh, yes, I have social media presences everywhere because that's what I do, right? <clears throat> so, um, time to see me, and the two is the number two. Time to see me on Facebook, mm-hmm. um, uh, see me move- movement on uh, Twitter and on LinkedIn, and then also time to see me on Instagram. Okay, yeah, wonderful. Um, so, so Angela, let's let's dive into this a little bit more. Um, I, I, I'm curious. On one hand. Obviously, the, the the conversation is elevated a lot 
Um, and I think, uh, especially as you mentioned, right after the election, I, I, in some ways, from my perspective, I'll bring a male perspective of the conversation, mm-hmm. obviously, right. um, and you'll you'll bring a, a female perspective. Maybe there's a little of both, right? But um, you have, uh, in many ways, it seems like the birth of this movement is actually saying, no, this is not okay. We have a president who w- was accused by several people of uh, transgressions that that have taken down many others. Um, so, so one thing, just like really high level, and who also likes to marry people. 30 years younger than he is, but <laughs> there's, there's ages. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Um, so help me understand, uh, two things. One, how, what are you most optimistic about in terms of what's happened over the, the past year and two for the movement broadly, where do you think it needs to go? What are we missing? Cause it feels like we're one, a lot has happened, but we're also feels like we're really in the first inning in terms of the change that this is bringing about. Um, so I'm curious your your thoughts in those <laughs> okay. in those areas. Two very small <laughs> questions, very very small questions. Um, well, what makes me most optimistic is the fact that um, I think uh, populations that may have felt disaffected or not empowered before mm-hmm. are actually beginning to recognize their power, and that is amazing. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, the truth about women is that uh, there have been all these ways that we have been disadvantaged and yet we control the nation's purse. Mm-hmm. We control most of the money mm-hmm. in the country in one way or the other. And it's kind of amazing for people to actually uh, start waking up to that fact <laughs> and saying, wow, you know, we can actually raise our voices and make a difference about things. And mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of interesting because there were, I don't remember who the woman's name, but um, actually during the election, there was a woman who actually, in, uh, you know, inaugurated, <laughs> to use the pun, um, uh, boycott of um, Trump products and then mm. also kind of extended it to Coke products, K-O-C-H. Yep. Um, and she was very effective, right, yeah. in kind of uh, putting that out there. And she used social media to get her point across. And suddenly people were were joining up. And that to me was like the first piece in in the equation that kind of grew into these other things. There were retailers that dropped Ivanka's line. Right. right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that was actually partially because of that boycott. That was that woman who had organized that boycott and it actually had an impact mm-hmm. on on uh, the marketplace. And to me, that was like the little tipping point where people started to recognize that um, they could have an impact if they chose to make a move about something. And that, mm-hmm. of course, kind of spread into the Women's March um, and has kind of moved on from there. Mm-hmm. I, you know, the whole um, Me Too thing uh, um, is an unfortunate unhappy or maybe happy coincidence that uh, the whole problem with Harvey Weinstein emerged at the same time. And then those two things kind of flowed together, right? You know, Mm -hmm. you had this crazy president and then this other rampant uh, version of sexual harassment going on that finally Mm -hmm. kind of got out into the open and people started paying attention to it. So, so to answer your first question, I'm just super happy that it's emerged and people Mm -hmm. are recognizing their power. And of course the latest iteration of that is the Parkland students who are out standing up and marching and, um, you know, raising their voices and saying, hello guys. Most of us are going to be old enough to vote in the next right. election, and we are not happy about this. Yeah. So I don't know if you saw the the conversation they had yesterday or heard it, but it was pretty pieces. Yeah, yeah. pretty incredible. They're they're saying thoughts and prayers in a tweet is not enough. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I, the whole kind of back and forth between the young man and Marco Rubio is 
a thing of wonder mm. just, mm-hmm. you know, because Rubio was trying to kind of have have his way both ways and they just wouldn't let it yeah. happen. And I, I was like, this is what <laughs> needs to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. So where this needs to go, um, I kind of view ageism and sexual harassment um, kind of on a maybe a similar continuum in the fact that they are situations that can be hard, difficult to prove. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously kind of sexual harassment has gone through a huge period of time where people have just kind of dumped it into the he said, she said box. Right. And it hasn't been until very recently that um, it's actually kind of been elevated into being a, a, an issue. Right. Yeah. Well, w- and that and that box, if I can just lend a thought to that, that box has has been a male constructed box that actually nothing can move out of. Or very rarely did things move out of. So nice to be talking to a woke dude. <laughs> <laughs> waking. Hopefully yeah, waking. waking. Yeah. It, it, you can never arrive if you're on the journey. So. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> Don't look at it that way, for sure. But you're absolutely right. Yeah, the, the box was built that way, yeah. for sure. Um, I still would suggest that from kind of a, a legal standpoint, mm-hmm. kind of a legislative standpoint, uh, stuff hasn't changed too much. Mm-hmm. You know, we mm-hmm. we are obviously paying attention to it and kind of um, uh, delivering consequences to people now. Mm-hmm. But there's still not a um, kind of a legal measures that are really real mm-hmm. that will help the situation. It's funny. I was having a conversation with a friend of <clears throat> mine, a, a woman, a, a couple of weeks ago, and she said, well, I think we're starting to understand how to handle these situations after they happen, but how do you handle them while they're happening? Like, yes. what do you do? And I jokingly said that we needed to arm women with soccer referee cards. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, you need to hold up a yellow card or, right. or a red card or a green card when something is really, really good. I mean, it's just yeah. like really straightforward. And and right. uh, we were <laughs> laughing. And then uh, next thing you know, this actually is going to be the next company. We decided we were going to make an app. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because it takes it out of that box we were talking right. about and makes it social which is part of what is elevating the conversation. Right, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. we're going to be building this app. We have That's not awesome. named it yet, but but it's going to have the little card colors and then actually maybe a database behind it that says, here are organizations where you're going to have trouble and here are organizations where yeah. you're going to be supported, right? Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. So anyway, that's my next company. <laughs> um, that's awesome. I, and I can imagine, right, <laughs> you can imagine, right, a, a, a scenario where people actually, you could see ratings of people like, hey, that person's gotten four red cards. Like, stay away. Harvey right. Weinstein has a, a thousand red cards or some right. stupid number. Yeah. Um, and then someone else has all yellow, right? You, that right. could elevate a lot of our- Of course, uh, we're now, re- we're getting into that black mirror thing with right. the points, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. So uh, Angela's referring to an episode, Black Mirror, um, on Netflix, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, it's yeah. like season three, episode one or something. Yeah, it was uh, with... Um, <clears throat> Oh, I can't think of her name. Opie's daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Who, you know, was trying to collect points so she can move into an apartment. Everybody, people give you social points. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I hopefully we won't end up going that far. But yeah. um, I do think the idea of just having signals, easy signals for people right. is kind of interesting. Right. Right. So anyway, but um, to kind of carry that conversation along, um, we are now in a position where, you know, ageism has actually been illegal for 50 years. Mm-hmm. But um, and for, for folks who don't know, can you just help describe what ageism is? It sounds simple, but I'm, I'm sure there's some legal. 
um, miss to it. Well, basically, or, at yeah. its simplest level, is that it's it's a law that says you're not supposed to treat people over forty in an organization any differently than you would treat people who are under 40, mm-hmm. right? And so there are a lot of things attached to that, a lot of kind of ways of making things happen or regulations that are attached to that uh, law, but that's the basic law, okay. right? So yep. if you're over 40, you should not be di- treated any differently than people who are under 40. And actually, you're actually allowed some things that people under 40 are not allowed. Um, mm-hmm. Like, for instance, if you are laid off from your job, um, uh, at least here in California, I don't know if it's a national law, you, you are literally um, have to have several days to have whatever agreement delivered to you reviewed by legal counsel. They right. can't place an agreement in front of you and expect you to sign, sign it right it away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, stuff like that. So, yep. um, so anyway, that legislation was implemented nationally 50 years ago. Yeah. But um, several years ago, and I don't know quite know what year it was, but I will know what year it was because this has to be a talking point. Um, that uh, law was weakened stif- substantially mm. and changed so that the burden of proof needed to fall on the person who to whom who is claiming that they are being uh you know, discriminated against. Mm-hmm. And so it's made it a lot harder to prove um, ageism cases. Uh-huh. And yet, particularly with women, you find case after case of organizations where women have hit a certain point and um, they're just basically edged out. Yeah. Um, and this happens with guys too. So I'm not saying it doesn't, but, um, you know, it's very clear that uh, they were moved out of their jobs because they were older. Uh And yet suddenly they're in a legal position where they can't do too much. Um, So I think one of the things I'm going to have to tackle with this organization I've just founded is obviously lobbying and um, kind of uh, legislative activity in order to kind of put teeth back into those regulations to help defend people. And then another idea, good idea, we might be a legal defense fund, which is what time's up did Mm -hmm. when they organized so to find Mm, some fat cat donors (laughs) who might want to put melinda gates are you listening (laughs) who um might want to put money into something like that to help defend women because our men in all walks of life who are being edged out of their jobs because they're older and don't have the resources to actually fight that so right Amazing. Yeah. So um, how how are you starting to kind of get the story out? Are you are you rallying people to your cause? I know I know today is the day. Yeah. Right. So, so it's an exciting day. But like, I don't know, maybe like six months from now, what's your vision in terms of uh, the impact you're having and kind of the the the, the support and structure you've built around? Uh, this effort. I don't, well, I'll have to um, maybe dream right here with you, Brian, because I'm not really sh- sure what that looks like. Although yeah. I do, in my wildest wishes, it would be extremely great to be able to have a lobbyist on staff who can walk into uh, places in DC and start talking about right. this, right? That is would be amazing to me. Um, <clears throat> well, but how I'm getting the word out starting right now is I'm starting with my posse. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm a middle-aged woman, right? Obviously, all my friends are middle-aged women. And what was interesting to me when I first started writing about this on Medium, <laughs> uh-huh. when I kind of uh, put it out there, I was amazed at the resonance that it achieved. Yes. You know, yeah. having people raise their hands and said, "Ah, oh, I hear you, girl. Yeah, yeah, tell me about it, right? Yeah. And so I am going to them to say, okay, I've done this now. 
um, number one, help me think about what we really need to be doing, you know, because mm-hmm. I have ideas about what we should be doing, but you guys can tell me what we should be doing. And one of my, actually my college roommate um, used to run the smartphone business for Nokia. She's uh, <laughs> kind of been a pretty serious muckety muck out there. And I, I asked her directly and, you know, one of the things she said is, well, yes, you have to be a voice about what's happening in organizations which tend to be hierarchical and patriarchal and yeah. like linear um, job paths. But she said at the same time, you know, you can start thinking about working with organizations that work very hard to empower uh, women and to, um, you know, make investments. Like she was pointing out uh, groups like Golden Seeds, right? Yes. And, yeah, yeah. That's right. that. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and I was like, yeah, okay, that's a good thought, right? You know, it's like, how do you speak truth to power on one hand, but also kind of Foster power, yeah. Yeah. Create a new box, (laughs) right? Create a new box. On the other hand, so um, or a new sphere, yeah, new sphere, (laughs) yeah, or something with open doors, right? So yes. um, Anyway, so I just I that's how I'm doing it, right? I'm I'm talking with my posse uh, because this is an issue that resonates with them, and they are very empowered women for the most part, and they're going to help me start getting the word out. Well, Angela, we are we are just about out of time, um, but thank you. It's been an amazing conversation. I, I, we could probably talk for hours about yeah. all of these topics, <laughs> um, but remind the audience um, where they can find both of the, the opportunities that you're uh, right. leading. So my consulting business, you can find at digitalwhisper.co. Um, and then uh, my side hustle, the See Me movement, uh, you can find at time2seeme.org. And the two is the number two. So time2seeme.org for um, ageism and digitalwhisper.co if you need me to tell you how to help out your business. So Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been great. My name is Brian Nickerson. I'm guest hosting for Esprit. Um, Esprit right now, I think, is in New Zealand. Hopefully she's in the water somewhere. She's a Pisces sign. So uh, water time is always good for those folks. Um, Esprit, we miss you. We love you. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye. UpGuard, one of my favorite companies in Mountain View, combines asset discovery, security ratings, and vendor questionnaires for the only complete cyber risk solution. Not only do they keep us safe online, they empower women in tech internally. They focus on hiring female engineers to make sure that we rise to the top. So I welcome you to take a look at their job opportunities from Mountain View to New York, New York to Sydney, Australia. They are a company worth exploring. Their mentorship culture is magnetic. Mention the Women in Tech podcast when you apply. Just as they celebrate women in tech, we want to celebrate you too. So make sure to let us know when you've reached out to UpGuard and we'll make sure to feature you on the Women in Tech social channels. We believe in you. UpGuard.com. Visit them for yourself. You'll see exactly what I mean. The Women in Tech podcast is an independent production funded by you, the community. To support Women in Tech, if you believe in the vision as much as we do, please consider going to womenintechpodcast.com. That's womenintechpodcast.com and just click on the contribution link to keep this podcast going. Thank you. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.